We are here, God, and we give ourselves to you. We say, here I am. Take my life and let it be yours, God. As we did last week, God, we want to continue to do and just lay ourselves down before you. God, we lay everything that we are. We want you to heal our hurts. God, meet us where we are today. We want to glorify you. Glory to God forever and ever and ever. Amen? God, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I would like to give you a, a short story of encouragement about this bus. John Bloom had called me, and first of all, he says, well, are you going to be around the next couple of three weeks? And I says, well, yeah, why? And he says, well, I expect you know why I'm asking. And I said, well, the last time, two times you asked me that, you bought a bus. And he says, well, before I bought the bus, I was going to find out if you're going to be around to pick it up because it's in Waterloo. So I said, sure. He bought the bus. We went and got the bus. Well, a few days before I went to get the bus, I get a call from, and I'm doing this backwards, but I get a call from Dick Woods from Cedar Rapids. And he says, would it be possible for you to swing over by when you pick the bus up Waterloo, swing over by Cedar Falls and pick up some stack chairs that we have at uh, Riverview Conference Center that we'd like to donate to the mission? And I said, well, how this, you know, how, well, you know how, I just knew about the bus a few days. He's, well, his sister is Helen, my sister-in-law, and they'd been talking. She told him about this bus, and we'd been talking about maybe delivering it down to the mission. Well, that weekend, Dick, representing Willowbrook Bible Camp, was at Emmaus. Uh, it was a recruiting weekend. A young lady by the name of Kelly Wilson was from Emmanuel Mission up there, and they got to talking, and Dick says, you think they could use some chairs down there? She said, well, I don't know. I'll find out. Sure enough, they could use some chairs. So he calls me. He got, we got 225 chairs. I said, there's no way I'm going to get 225 chairs on that bus. He says, oh, I think you can. But I can't be there. I, I've got doctor's appointments. Or, I said, well, thanks a lot. Well, we got 234 chairs on the bus. So needless to say, it's got a lot of stuff on it already. But just the way that the Lord packs them in there, they fit. Okay, so we've got that. On the way back from Waterloo, it was riding rather rough, thump, thump, thumping. So I found a flat spot on a tire. It took me two days to find a tire. Got it put on Friday night, still thump, thump, thump. Got another tire. Well, the place I found this tire had one more, and they're open Saturday morning, so I got the other tire, and the bus is rolling smooth now. So just pray that the rest of the trip will be as smooth as it was back from the east side yesterday. Thank you. We are, uh, we are continuing our series this morning, our Modern Family series, and uh, we're kind of diving in this morning on parenting, and, you know, obviously I'm an expert on that, uh, my six years of experience, uh, but in the, in the study, I was encouraged and I was challenged as, as I studied and as I read some articles and things of that nature and realized I, I got a ton to learn uh, on this idea of parenting. So, you know, as we talked this morning... I thought it was great to bring uh, some couples, I, I don't want to say older, uh, older, and, uh, but, but, you know, with experience, and, and is that better than saying old experience, okay, uh, so why just, mature, yeah, so I just want to ask them some questions uh, on this idea of parenting, and so what I'll do is I'll ask them a question, and I'd like them each to kind of answer the question, you can obviously can hand the mic down as we do it. Uh, so the first question, we'll start with you, Larry, is talk about one of your greatest struggles in parenting. 
when a child chooses not to follow the Lord and doesn't want any input from parents. And that's the toughest one for me. Uh, I have to agree with that, but I think when, I, when my kids were little, tiny, when Jeff and Christy were just little kids, um, this was long before Nathan was ever born, and I, I, get, I would get so um, short-tempered with them when they, when they um, would do something wrong. And I remember one time, um, poor little Jeff, I hope he doesn't remember this. You know, <laughs> well, <laughs> but I was standing at the sink peeling potatoes, I think, and I had a paring knife in my hand. And he smarted off something at me, and I reached over and smacked his mouth and do you know, I came that close from putting his eye out. Now, that's, a wrong, that's the wrong way to handle your children. You shouldn't be mad at them when, you're, when, you're, when you have to discipline them. And that's the hardest thing in the world because what they do makes you mad. And even as they grow up, it gets worse. I don't mind telling you. <laughs> but in spite of us all, in spite of Larry and I and what we did and what we did right and what we did wrong... The Lord still blesses, and uh, you just go on from there. You just keep, you just keep plugging along. But it's with His help. And another thing is, you can ask the Lord for the strength, the strength that you need, and He promises in His Word, "I will give you the strength you need for today." He's not going to give me the strength I need for tomorrow. He gives it to me for today. That's a good thing to remember for moms and dads. Okay, so I guess I'm experienced and older. <laughs> it's hard to think of myself that way, but more and more people treat me that way, so it's scary. <laughs> um, struggles, yeah, there's a lot of struggles, and coming down to one is difficult. I think at the root of most of my struggles, I find is pride and selfishness, um, but from a practical perspective, probably one of the things I never really uh, figured out how to deal with was the power struggles that you have with your kids, you know, and you get entrenched in this situation where you're saying no don't touch it and they're saying yes I'm going to touch it and um, you just I, I found myself over and over again getting deeper and deeper and deeper into that circumstance and and that brings out the worst in both of us and so I, I don't know that I conquered that but. well um I have a lot of struggles as a parent as well, but um, I heard Dennis Rainey say this week in a talk that I was listening to, he said, I used to think that parenting was about me training children, but I came to find out that it was more about them training me to be more like Christ. I'm like, amen. <laughs> uh, Larry, talk about one of your greatest moments in parenting. Well, I wanted to add to this a quick story sure. about yeah. power, power struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff was one of these that liked to play with the power outlets. You know, we slap his hands and all of this and say no, no, and all this. Well, one day he crawled behind the couch, and he got the outlet for the lamp partway out, and then he got his fingers across the uh, contacts. <laughs> Needless to say, it zapped him. And that was done with the power struggle. He figured, he figured it out all on his own. So a lot of times you just let them figure it out on their own. Okay, go ahead. It was one of your greatest moments in parenting. I would say top of the line is when they turn their lives over to the Lord and then follow him. Yes, I'd have to say that too. When, you're, when your children become a Christian 
and uh, when you can help lead them to the Lord, that's such a wonderful blessing in your family. And then when our kids are old enough now, they have children of their own, and now those children, our grandchildren, are leading their families to the Lord, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. I think that's um, that's probably my the biggest blessing. Can I go three if I go quick? Yeah, absolutely. Or four, uh, Don't four. even have to go quick. You're, okay. Jesus said if someone asks you to go a mile with them, go two. So I'll go <laughs> four with you here. Um, I think generally, you know, that the time where I feel most fulfilled is when our family's sitting around at the supper table and everybody's talking about their day and kind of sharing their feelings, laughing at each other, laughing with each other. And, and I, I just feel kind of like got a little bit of heaven on earth there. It's feel very rich as a, a father. Um, and I just, I thought of a, a few incidents, you know, because our families are not necessarily about having a, a good family experience for dad. It's about, you know, bringing uh, people into the kingdom of God. And so I, I think of some experiences, and some of them are, these are all from recently, but one, you're going to think I'm kind of twisted here, but the, the other day at supper, Colin said, Dad, I need a permission slip. So, what for? Well, I need a permission slip to beat up Kale. <laughs> so, so, okay, what's this about? <laughs> so, well, Kale is always picking on um, Joey at school. And so, I kind of, you know, I didn't think that was really the right way to approach it, but I kind of <laughs> appreciated that he was willing to sacrifice his body because Kale's two or three inches taller than him and probably 20 pounds heavier. So, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know if he would have followed through. But then um, another one from last week at 5.45 in the morning, Thursday or Friday morning, Debbie's phone, she got a text. And so she went and got it, looked at it, and Brandon had sent her a text with a scripture reference that was from his Bible reading that he was having at that point in time that he wanted to share something that was applicable to Debbie's studies that she'd been doing on blessing and cursing, and that that kind of warmed my heart. Um, and then Caitlin, I, I enjoy seeing the blessing that she is to younger kids. And that also this past week, there was, I brought her home as I, I picked her up from work on my way home, walked in the door, and the, the two neighbor kids were there playing with Brandon and Colin, and I came through the door first, and I said, hi, Bob. And then Caitlin comes in the door, and Laura, the first grader, she pretty much just shot out from where she was, Caitlin, and just jumped up in her arms. And, and that kind of warmed my heart, too, just to see kids, um, you know, touching other kids. When, I mean, it, these are good moments, but they're not things that I, well, I hope it's not things I'm proud of. It's um, things I'm thankful for the grace of God in because um, I I, I'm not that much of a blessing myself, and to see my kids following their mom's footsteps is a good thing. Well, as a mom, you know, you're always saying, I wish I had another set of hands, or I wish I could be two places at once, and I guess um, one of the joys is to see my kids um, be another set of hands for me, and I can be two places at once sometimes because one of them is serving somewhere else or something, and that's encouraging to me. Debbie, we'll start with you for the last question here. Based on uh, where you are right now in parenting, what is one piece of advice you'd give to parents your age and parents 
And another piece of advice you give to parents with younger children. Um, maybe for younger children, um, I would say that um, just as we teach our children to brush their teeth, um, put the toothpaste on and put it in your mouth and go back and forth, we also need to remember we need to teach them the um, how to read their Bible or to serve. Um, this is how you do it. You don't just see mom do it, but you do it with me. And um, come on, let's go. Let's do this together. And and then, um, you know, I read my Bible now, and, and you can read your little Bible, and you can listen to your Bible on CD maybe. And, um, and then as they get older, you know, just did you brush your teeth today? Did you read your Bible today? What was it, what was in your Bible reading today? And this is what was in mine. And maybe just you know, same ways you teach them to walk, you teach them to do those other things of service and reading their Bible and spending time with the Lord. Not just only by your action, maybe, but by also just teaching them how to do it. Okay. Did you? That goes to. <laughs> Um, well, what, a piece of encouragement that I've gotten, and I'm obviously in this stage right now, so I can only say that it's something I'm trying to learn, but um, when somebody said, make your home like a heaven on earth, and uh, we sang that song that talked about um, heaven being a place of comfort and the Lord holding us and wiping our tears, um, that we as moms, we can um, be a place of refuge for our children they can come home, and, and we'll, we're there, you know. And John, it says, when I think of heaven, it says, um, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. So now as a mom, you know, my kids are all in public school, and I guess I, I just get encouragement that that's my job. I can prepare a place for them to come home to and a place of comfort where they can have their tears wiped away. And the stresses of public school and, and growing older as teenagers is quite a lot of um, to bear, and sometimes they can't communicate that, but maybe if they can come home and feel comforted and in a place that has been prepared for them, maybe that will help them in their struggles. Good. I'll start with the younger ones, I guess. the There are a lot of resources, you know, even that probably our parents didn't have in terms of good books and DVD and CD series. Um, I think Dennis and Barb Rainey with Family Life have a lot of good stuff. Um, one that was helpful to us in a very practical way was uh, Growing Kids God's Way. And I mean, there, I would say that with a caveat because there's some issues I have with it. But there, there was a lot of very practical things. Here's things you need to teach your kids. And here's some ways you can do it real practically because we kind of have an idea what we need to teach our kids from the scriptures. But um, actually doing it sometimes is the challenge. Um, and, you know, you've got each other, you've got this body of believers, too, and definitely take advantage of the resources you have, and above all, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, reliance on that, um, very key. Um, for parents my age, uh, I think, to me, the thing is to remember that teenagers still want their parents' approval and love. Um, they're not going to you know, a couple of differences. One, they're not going to grovel for it like maybe a five-year-old. You know, they're not going to come and say, Dad, 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 Dad. Hey, Dad, look at this. Dad, Dad. 
but maybe they're just going to walk by on their way to their bedroom and say, is dad going to notice me? You know, and so remember that they want that. The other thing is that they have the opportunity and the ability as they get older to seek out that love and approval in other places that, you know, you don't want them to. Um, so just remember your teenagers still want your love and approval. And, and also, in addition to that, I guess I would say to know your kid's love language. Um, if you're familiar with uh, Gary Chapman's book, The Love Languages, because that will help you communicate with your kids and draw them out. It's, it's amazing what a you know, $5 ring from Claire's will do to a, for a girl whose love language is gifts. Uh, I think <clears throat> I'll start, too, with the younger children. I think the biggest thing is just to enjoy them now. I know there's lots of times when you don't even like your kids, let alone <laughs> enjoy them. But we are, we are to love our children, and you do as a parent, but, you know, it just gets... Um, it, it, sometimes it's just, it just gets really, really hard. That's when you have to just go to the Lord and plead with him to uh, give you the smarts that you need to go on, you know, and the right words to say and the right things to do. And, <clears throat> and I think uh, I, another thing, too, is don't expect more of your little kids than, than they can give, you know. Let, let them kind of be, let a kid be a kid. They, they, we just get them involved in so many things so quickly and, and it just takes them away from us, and the world has a grab, grasp on them right then. And I, I guess I just, I just like to see children being little children and, and having fun and getting to play with their friends and not having to be run around to all these different, different things. But I, when, when they get older, of course, they're going to have a lot more um, things to do. Their friends are going to take their time. We found out with our grandkids that we're not, we're not their world anymore, and that kind of hurt. But um, and another thing I I shared with Kyle when when our grandkids we had five babies grandkids within six years, they were all we had one on each leg and one in each arm and I don't know where the fifth one was but <laughs> anyway, but they were you know and we loved having having them around. But I'm telling you, I soon thought of these grandkids as my little idols. It, it was so easy to put them on a pedestal and think that they were so much better than your children. Or, um, and that was another thing I had to learn as a young mom. I thought, <clears throat> my child will never do that. I, I'll never let my kid do that. Well, <clears throat> it comes. It does come. But I think children's um, job in our lives is to keep us humble, keep us on our knees and before the Lord. Because you just can't do it without leaving it up to the Lord. And, I, and for you young parents and, and parents of teenage kids, um, you're so busy. You're busy with your jobs and careers. And you're busy with your homes. And you're busy with trying to make the right meals and, and having the right clothes for your kids and your family. And, and then your kids get involved in games and, and um, all kinds of things, dance classes, music classes. And you can't see the forest from the trees. You really can't. You just get so busy doing, 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 and trying to be all in all. And really, as 
you were saying, Debbie, they just want your love and they want that home to be a safe place. And um, that's, that's what all I have to say on the young kids. But, um, and for older children, um, Larry and I learned a few years ago when our parents were older that we were kind of, they call us the sandwich generation because you're kind of, you're helping your kids do things. You're helping them with their families. You're helping, then on the other hand, you help your parents because they're not able to, to do a lot of things for themselves anymore. And I remember when my mom had her stroke and it, uh, she just overnight turned into a, you know, the person that, that she wasn't really the person that we'd ever known before, but she was still our mom. And, um, you, that that was the hardest thing for me. This role reversal when I had to I had to become her mother. I had to tell her what to do, and and kind of lead her forward from that time on. And that's a real hard thing. But you know the Lord blesses so much, and you have no regrets. You have no regrets then when that's when that's now that she's gone. I know that I did all I could for her. And uh, of course, when I'll probably cry telling you this. But when you have a child, as Larry said, who, who decides not to walk with the Lord and to go his own way and then ends up doing something so bad that he has to spend three years of his life in prison, it's the hardest thing. Your heart is absolutely crushed and broken. And I want to tell you this. Don't keep that to yourself. Don't not tell anybody what's going on. Don't think that you can get through this on your own because you can't. That's why we have this church. That's why we have each other. And I, I honestly don't know if Larry and I could have made it through this without all of you and your love and your care for us. And I just... There is an end to it. There does come a day when your son will tell you, you know, I'm sorry I put you through all that, but that was going to prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. You, and you just go from there. You know that they have, they've matured and now things are going very well, but oh my goodness. What a heartache and what a heartbreak. But there's a verse in Psalms where the Lord says, I will love those who are trouble, have heart trouble, and I will help you when your heart is crushed. I think that's from Psalm 34. Anyway, I'm going to pass this on. Thank you. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, um, my advice for parents of all ages, I guess, but parents of grown children is to love them unconditionally. Just as the Lord loves us unconditionally. And to pray for them. We had this small group Bible study praying for your adult children. And that was, uh, that was very enlightening because what we can't do by saying, we can do by praying. So love them and pray for them. That would go for all families. And then number two for the younger 
it's been said, but I'll say it again. Love them, enjoy them, and let them be kids. And make serving the Lord not something that dad does off doing or something that mom does off. Make it a family affair and make it enjoyable. Because the kids see you having to do things, they're not going to want to do it. But if they see you enjoy doing things, they will follow. Let's give these guys a hand. Thank you very much. I don't know that we need to do too much of a message. I think that's great advice, isn't it? And it's important, I think, you know, and Liz kind of made reference to that even, even there, that the support that, that the church offers is huge. And take advantage of that. I mean, God has designed the church to be a family. I know in a few weeks ago as we, we finish up this series, in a few weeks uh, here when we finish it up, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit and the support that, that this family uh, can offer and should offer. And so we want to be a family. And I thank you guys for sharing and encouraging and challenging us. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm early in this. You know, my kids are six and three. My daughter is perfect and my son is not. And <clears throat> he's, got a, he's got something to live up to. It's like me. You know, growing up, I, my, my, uh, my brother was almost a 4.0. You know, he was the chosen one. My, my sister, uh, she was a 4.0. I think she got one B in high school and college. And, and then there was me. My dad had to take my car away one time when my grades didn't measure up. Uh, Yes, so that, that's my story. Uh, so <clears throat> I was reading an article uh, this week in the New Yorker, uh, which is a beacon of spiritual insight. <laughs> but this was an article on parenting, and it was good. The first couple pages were very good, and kind of the, towards the end there, you know, started again, a little off base and uh, evolution and, and, and all this stuff. But, but the first couple pages were good. It was, it was an article by Elizabeth Colbert. And the, the, the title of it was Spoiled Rotten. Why do kids rule the roost? Why do kids rule the roost? And, and so it was an article kind of on parenting. And, and what it was is the first part of it was going over a study. And it was two professors at the University of California. And one had gone, and I'm going to butcher the, the, the name, but here is the Mastiganek Indians down in uh, Peru near the Amazon. So they went down here, and Tim's already laughing at me. They went down here, and, and she did this study, and she spent time with the family, and really her goal was to kind of see how they raised and reared their chil- children. At the same time, another professor uh, was, was doing a study of, I think it was 12 families in Los Angeles, all mid to upper 30s, having kids, and so they were kind of doing their own studies at the same time, and then they kind of came back and compared it. And a few of the stories that the, the lady working with the, the, um, the tribe there uh, the Indian tribe there talked about is she said there were boys by the age of three who were cutting wood with their own machete. <laughs> I'm trying to envision my son with a machete. <laughs> All right, that ain't gonna work. So there, there was one particular story of a girl. She was six, and they were going to go on this little trip, and she wanted to tag along. Six years old, she tagged along, and she noted that right away, without any kind of instruction or teaching, she just started doing things. She, they, they'd get a place to stay. She would sweep it out. She would clean it out. She would go and she would fish, get her own food. This was a hunting and gathering tribe. She would cook her own food. She's six years old. I get impressed when my daughter's able to go to the cupboard and pull out a you know, breakfast bar, right? 
we sleep in. Oh, go feed yourself, get a breakfast bar. She takes care of them. So here was, at six years old, able to, uh, to clean, to cook, to take care of herself, six years old. And then they go and talk about these families from Los Angeles, right? And there's a story of a six-year-old who, well, he was hungry, and he said, Dad, give me some silverware. I need to eat. He says, well, you know where it is. Well, the kid refused. He refused to eat because he didn't want to have to go and get up and get the silverware, right? There's another story of an eight-year-old who was uh, there getting ready to go, and the, the shoes were there. Couldn't get his shoes on because the shoes weren't untied. Dad, t- untie my shoes. Untie my shoes. I can't get my feet in there. You untie them. I can't get them. I'm not going anywhere unless you untie my shoes, right? And here we have a kind of a, kind of a contrast. But why same-age kids in one part of the world, able to three-year-old give a three-year-old a machete, and yet in Los Angeles, an eight-year-old can't tie or untie their shoes. And it talked about the battle, and it shared another story of a kid who was supposed to go take a bath. Wouldn't do it. Father asked him five times, hauls him up in the back, leaves him there. Son marches out, goes, plays a video game. And they were contrasting these two styles. What is the difference? And they talked about a failure to launch our children. That in America, we have a failure to launch our children into adulthood. And, and they talked about this idea of, what was the word? Oh, kadals. They used the word kadals. That it was, really, you're putting adults who still act like children into the world. And instead, it's, it's, it's a problem in our society. It's a, it's a problem in our culture. Is we are raising generations of kids that we've waited on, that we've done everything for, that... that Basically, hey, you need it, you got it. You know, life isn't good, oh, that's okay. There's a story also in this article about a, a, a student that had failed a test, and what do their parents do? They'll go hire an attorney because he had failed this course. We've got a problem, don't we? And the problem is we have a failure to launch our kids, a failure to raise our kids with, with godly principles, with, with a, a godly lifestyle into the world. And so this was what it was talking about. This is where the article was going. It was a great story. Here was a quote from the article, and I'll leave you kind of with this quote, and we'll move on from the article. But it says this, With the exception of the imperial offspring of the Ming dynasty and the children of the pre-revolutionary France, contemporary American kids may represent the most indulged young people in the history of the world. It's not that they've been given unprecedented amounts of stuff. It's not just that they've been given unprecedented amounts of stuff. Clothes, toys, cameras, skis, computers, televisions, cell phones, PlayStations, iPods, iPads, you know, so on and so forth. The market for Burberry Baby and other forms of kids' culture had reportedly been growing by 10% a year. They've also been granted unprecedented authority. Parents want their kids' approval, a reversal of the past ideal of children striving for their kids' approval, for their parents' approval. So here it is. You know, our biggest problem in parenting, not that we don't love our kids, right? We love our kids, for the most part. <laughs> I think I would, well, I think what Liz said there. Well, we, lo- we love them most of the time, okay? We love our kids. That's, that's not the issue. We love our children. The issue is we don't always love them well. We don't always love them right. We don't always love them in the way that God has designed. It's amazing to me, you can go and you can read in the Old Testament, you can see a story like Josiah, right? He's eight years old when he becomes king, and he says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah was a man who, who, a kid, who reformed God's people, 
help reform God's people. And so somewhere, we're raising a generation that doesn't understand these principles. And, and I, <laughs> I sat in my basement this morning as I was kind of finishing up this message and thinking on it, and then I saw the loads of toys down there, right? Everywhere. I thought, you know what? I'm preaching to the choir here, no doubt. But our problem as a culture, as a society, is that our kids, really our families, have become kid-centered, haven't they? That our lives revolve around our kids. I, I love what Larry said there at the end, you know. Hey, when you're, when you're doing life, when, when you're pursuing the kingdom, man, get your, your kids should be part of that. They should be involved in what we're doing. They should be involved in church, in, in small group, in, in serving God and, and his kingdom. They should be involved in that. And so what's happened so much is we've changed our family dynamic is now become kid-centered, right? You can see it all over the place. Kids are at the center of what we do. You know, sports, music. I don't know if there's a better word than music. I, I don't have that, that ability. But those, those type of things, you know, they've become our center. And our lives revolve around our kids. Now, we want our kids to be involved. I want my kids to be involved in what's going on. I want, hey, I want my kid to run circles around your kid on the basketball court. I'll be honest. You know, I want that. All right? That's okay. Those aren't bad things. Here's the problem. The problem is we turn our kids, as Liz said, into idols, right? They become an idol. And idols are usually something that is good, something that God has designed as a good thing, but we turn and we make it the ultimate thing. Okay, it's good. Kids are awesome. I love my two kids, one all the time, the other one part of the time. I love my kids. He won't have a complex at all. I, I, love, I love my children. That's not a bad thing. The, ch the, the problem is when they become an idol. The problem is when they become the ultimate thing. And, and if you're with me, you understand how easy that is to do. I mean, I do it all the time. Oh, my life is, you know, hey, I find my happiness, and, and if my kids are happy, or I'm happy in my kids. And that's a problem. That's when we can tell that this has kind of become an idol for us. I read an article this week, Jamie Pollard, and I know it's amazing that, that people like this can, can do so wrong, but he got kicked out of a basketball game, right? Maybe you saw the article, Jamie Pollard is the Iowa State Athletic Director. Okay, I know it's amazing, good people. God's chosen people would do wrong things, but Jamie Pollard would get kicked out of a game because he's arguing with an official. And you hear stories like that all the time. I'll, I'll, you know, you'll see a YouTube video of parents chasing officials after the game. Here's the problem. We've made our kids our idols. Our, our identity, and if you're taking notes, good, good three things here. Our identity, our worth, and our purpose is wrapped up in our kids. And so you can go to a basketball game and you can see these parents implode. Why? Because their identity, their worth, and their purpose is in their kids. And if my kid's not excelling, if my kid's not doing the best, my identity is wrapped up in that. It's the same thing. Get older, same thing on, on a, you know, I'm sure it is with music, right? I, I don't know. Don't bother me with music. I don't know anything about it. But it's probably the same thing. Morally speaking, it can be the same thing. Pa parents want their kids, you know, they don't want them to, drink or sleep around or chew or be with women that do, right? 
Same thing. We, we want to get our kids to church. We want them to live good lives because if they don't, that reflects on me. That reflects on me. Our worth, our identity, our purpose is tied up in our children. And ultimately we know that's when it becomes an idol. If our worth, identity, and our purpose are tied in our children. I want to share a story with you out of the Bible. I think that's probably a good thing to do. It's a story in Genesis. starts in, in Genesis chapter 12. I want to read a couple verses here in Genesis 12, chapter 12. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Here's the story. God is going to begin a nation. And the father of this nation is going to be Abraham. You sang that song? You guys know that song? Father Abraham and many sons. Yeah? Thank you for the three people that helped me sing that song. That's great. That's great. Like I said, I got no music. I need help with this. No musical ability. Some of you are like, I've never heard that song in my life. This guy's crazy. Okay. Father Abraham had many sons. This, this is the beginning of a great nation. And God is using this man, Abraham, to begin this nation. And so God has promised him, All right, you're going to have uh, descendants as many as the stars in the sky. I am going to make a great nation, and you're going to be the father of it. This is a promise that God makes to Abraham. Well, Abraham's a young man. He, he begins his journey. But if you know the story, what happens? Well, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, go many years, and a child is not born, right? Many years go by, and a child is not born. And you know that one of the greatest joys in life, if you've had a child, my dad tells me this all the time, if you've had a child, is seeing that child born, right? He, he never tells me. Actually, story about my dad. Anytime you t- somebody tells him they're going to have a third kid, he's like, oh, what are you having a third kid for? Why would you do something like that? I don't have a complex at all. No problem. One of the greatest joys we have in life is a child being born, right? It's a child being born. One of the greatest heartaches in life is not being able to have a child or, or losing a child, right? Mark, Mark shared that story. Mark shared the story of, of the daughter they lost. There can be no greater heartache at times than that. We understand that. And here the story of Abraham and Sarah is like that. Sarah's a young woman, 30s, 40s, 50s. All of a sudden, you're getting to that age where maybe you can't have a child anymore. 60, 70, 80, 90. God comes to him. You are going to have a son. Not just a child. You're going to have a son. All right? A son in those days, inheritance, you know, more workforce. You're carrying on the family name. This was a big deal. And 90, Sarah laughs it off. I love this because oftentimes what God does is he takes the impossible and he makes it possible. And God displays his power and we see it in this story. And God uses his people to accomplish amazing things. And here it is, the story of Abraham and Sarah. And as an old woman, gives birth to his son Isaac. And so here's the story of parents having a child. Parents having a child. Well, the story continues on in Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham has had 
a child. Remember, this was a promise from God that God is going to use him and going to use his family, all right? And they're going to become a great nation. And so Abraham had followed God, he had trusted God, and now he's an old man and he's continued to trust God. But the question is, has he trusted God because he is God, or has he trusted God because he's going to give him a son? And I think he's put to the test here. And we talk about a father and a parent's response and not making an idol, their life not revolving around their child, their identity, their worth, and their purpose not found with their kids. We see Abraham here. And in Genesis chapter 22, I'm going to read the story, read the story to you. It says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Morah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering as one, on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Okay, here's how the story tells, starts off. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. There is no disputing that Abraham loves his son Isaac. No disputing it, okay? Abraham loves Isaac. He has waited his entire life for this son, for his offspring. God is going to make a great nation for him. He loves Isaac. We see that. Again, our, our problem is not that we don't love our kids. The problem is, do we love them well? God continues on. What's he say to him? Go and sacrifice your son. Well, now it gets a little, little out there. Let me tell you, first of all, disclaimer, if you feel God is telling you this, Let's sit down afterwards and talk, okay? We, we don't want to go this far. But God is telling Abraham, all right, sacrifice your son. The story continues on. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. All right? So Abraham knows what's going on. He knows that God has told him, you need to sacrifice your son. But what's he say? We will come back to you. Abraham has a belief that one way or another, God is going to deliver. God has made a promise, and why would he not deliver if he has made that promise? We get a picture of what Abraham's belief was. If you read in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the faith chapter, verses 17 through 19. It's a statement about Abraham's faith, and we see that Abraham believed that God was going to bring Isaac back from the dead. That was his belief. He knew one way or another God is going to work. God is going to move. And so here he trusts God. We will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He's, he's catching on, right? All right, what's going on here, Dad? We got the fire and the wood, but I don't see an offering. All right, he's, he's sharp. Okay. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place where God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and, and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do nothing to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Here's a story. The question for Abraham is, Abraham, the son that you've longed for, has he become an idol? Has he become what your identity, your worth, and your purpose is? See, if God was going to use Abraham to start this great nation, didn't he want a leader who knew that their identity, their worth, and purpose was in God alone? God wants that same thing from us. As parents, God wants us to find our identity, our worth, and our purpose in him. Not in our kids, not in our spouses, not in our families, not in our work. God wants us to have our identity, our purpose, and our worth in him alone. That's what he desires. That's what he wants from us. We can love our kids, but to love our kids well, our identity, our purpose, and our worth needs to be found in him and him alone. And when we do that, that's when we can begin to love our kids. It's great. Get, get your kids involved in things. Spend time with your kids. Love on your kids. But don't make your kids idols. Don't make them the center of your life. Larry ended it and hit it right on the head. And my, my kids need to be involved in what I'm doing in my pursuit of the kingdom of God. They need to come along and be involved in that. They need to see it. They need to see me live it in a real way. I don't want my son in t-ball and playing basketball, absolutely. But my identity, my worth, and my purpose is found in God alone. My kids need to see that. My kids need to understand that. We're going to spend a little time as, as we transition to spend time worshiping Jesus. I love this story in Genesis chapter 22. It's an awesome story because it's a picture of what God has done for us. See, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, his only son, in whom he loved. In fact, he stuck a piece of wood on his back and marched him up a hill, marched him up a mountain to be sacrificed. And this is a snapshot of what God has done for us. God has given us his son, his only son, whom he loves. And he strapped a piece of wood on his back and marched him up a hill, Golgotha, for me and for you. And for us to find our identity, our purpose, and our worth, it's in Jesus. It's in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. If I want to parent well, I need to love God, and I need to love Jesus well. I need to know that my purpose, my worth, and my identity is found in the cross. It's found in the finished work that God has done for me by giving me his son, his only son, whom he loves. And so this morning, as we continue to worship, as we continue to sing about Jesus and what God has done, the bread and the juice are going to be up here, and the bread reminds us of Jesus and his body that was broken. 
and his blood reminds us, or, uh, and the juice reminds us of his blood that was shed. If you're, not here this, if you're here this morning and you don't know what that's about, you need to know it. You need to understand it. You need to know that God has given his son, his only son whom he loved, for you. I can be made right with God. I can be made right with God by what Jesus has done at the cross. And God no longer looks at me. He no longer sees my sin, my struggles, all my failures and what I've done. He looks at me and he sees Jesus. And it's finished. John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, makes an awesome statement. Jesus coming onto the scene. Here comes Jesus, and John makes this statement. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. My purpose, my worth, and my identity are found in that Lamb who took away my sin. My purpose, identity, and worth are found in the son that a piece of wood was strapped on his back and marched up a hill, and he died for me. That's where my purpose, my identity, and my worth is is found. So, yeah, we want to be great parents. We know we love our children. We know we want to see and spend time and see our, our children excel in life. But for us to parent well, we need to realize our identity, worth, and purpose is found in this lamb that died for me. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this snapshot we see in in Genesis, this story of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, a story of you giving a child a son. And God, we see in Abraham, who was tested, was this son, this promised son, an idol? Was he Abraham's purpose and identity and worth? And God, how cool that we see that, that, that above all, Abraham wanted you, that Abraham wanted to follow you, that his identity, purpose, and worth was found in you. God, we want to ask ourselves the same question. As we think about our kids and we think about parenting, God, we want to be challenged that above all, our identity, our purpose, and worth is found in the Lamb, is found in Jesus. May we be here this morning and say, Behold, there is the Lamb who has taken away my sin, who has taken the sin of the world. God, this is all that matters. This is what matters. This is where my identity, my worth, and my purpose is found. It's found in Jesus. Thank you for the lamb that was slain.